0: Hello, and welcome to the Without Exception podcast. My name is Josiah Ott, and on this podcast, I seek to share practical content for everyday Christians. My hope is that I can help you live out your faith each day without exception. Thank you for joining me. This is episode number two, and today I'm excited to discuss trusting in the sovereignty of God with you. Now, first, I wanna ask you a question. Do you know the end of your story? Do you know what tomorrow will bring? Obviously, none of us do. And something that we may often forget, something I know I forget, and possibly you forget, is that every single person whose life is recorded in the pages of the Bible actually didn't know the end of their story either. We know their end. We know exactly how their story went because we get to read the whole thing at one time. However, they didn't. If you think about it, Peter and Andrew, right? They were two disciples of Jesus. And they didn't know that one day when they were fishing, that the Messiah, the son of God was going to come and call them to be his disciples. They were going fishing. They didn't know that Jesus was going to step into their story. The woman at the well, right? She went at a weird time because she was an outcast. She had multiple husbands. She was just not really accepted by society. And she went to the well at a very random time. And she wasn't planning on meeting Jesus that day, but he stepped into her story. Another thought is that the disciples did not know for sure that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Jesus had told them that he was going to rise. And oftentimes he spoke in kind of roundabout ways, or he might've said something, you know, like destroy the temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they didn't understand at the time that he meant his body as the temple So the disciples, when Jesus, when Jesus was crucified, they panicked and many of them left because they figured that he was gone and they didn't know that he was going to rise from the dead, but we get to read the whole story. Another thought is that Paul and Silas, they didn't know they would be freed from jail. We, many of us know, you probably know the story where Paul and Silas were put into prison and, and they went and they prayed and they sang praises to God. And they did, you know, all these things in the midst of a, of a terrible trial And they did not know they were going to be freed from prison. We know, and people might go and preach and say, oh, you, you have to, you know, praise through the difficult time to get your breakthrough or different thoughts like that. And Paul and Silas didn't know that was coming. And so something we can take away from this is that I don't know the end of my story, but I can know the one who holds the end of my story. So you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know how Jesus will step into your story. You don't know what the end of your story will look like, but if you know the one who holds your story, then it should give you peace and it should allow you to trust him in the meantime. So we're going to be discussing the sovereignty of God and the fact that he is fully in charge. First, I want to read a verse from Proverbs chapter three it's verses five and six it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust really means having confidence in something. You could also take the word trust and render it as to have confidence in. So you could take this and say have confidence in the Lord with all your heart. And so the thought here is that at times, you know, we have to trust, we have to believe by faith. It's it's not something we can see oftentimes. In the kingdom of God, there's so much that we can't see in the moment but we have to trust God knowing his nature and how good he is and how faithful he is and the fact that he's truly sovereign and in control. So we can trust God because he's king and he has a plan. He's fully in control at all times. And I was thinking this morning, basically that, you know, God is so much greater than any of us can comprehend. Many of us have heard that a picture is worth a thousand words. You've probably heard that so many times a picture is worth a thousand words. So you could say a thousand words can describe one picture. And at the same time, I believe that not all the words in the entire world could even scratch a surface to tell who God really is and how great he truly is. A thousand words could describe a picture. And sure, a thousand words could describe God, but there's probably millions of words that it would take to accurately describe who God is and how great he is. Psalm 33 verse six through 11 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. So God's fully in control. He made everything that we can see. And when you look at creation as the evidence of who God is and how great he is, that's the worldview that I look I, I look at the world that way. This is all God's creation. It's all things that he made. It's how great he is. It displays his splendor and his, and his care about even the little things. There's so many different things you can take away from it. You know, the other day, I was watching uh, the sh- the show River Monsters. I don't know if any of you have ever seen River Monsters. I I love fishing. I love the outdoors, so it's one of my favorite shows. We don't watch a lot of TV, but we were watching some of the episodes, and there are just some some really interesting fish out there. I guess is one way to put it. And you know, you got ones that have no teeth, ones that have huge teeth, ones that just they look so like they're mean looking, like, look at how powerful this, this fish is. And I was just thinking about, you know, this really displays how great God is. Like, look at the power that is in just one thing that God created. Look at how strong this, this thing is. And so, you know, we can take that in so many different ways in your life, you know, seek to maybe see creation differently, see how it displays how great God truly is and find an area that's special to you. Maybe you don't like fishing. Maybe you don't like the outdoors. But for me, when I see these fish, right, it it makes me think of God. So think of something that you love in an area that's special to you, and then how that can represent how great God is. And it'll mean something to you. The apostle Paul said in first Timothy chapter six, verses 15 and 16, that he who is blessed and only sovereign, he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, Whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And think about it. He said he's blessed. He's the only sovereign. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. Sovereign, that word biblically can mean ruler, sovereign, lord, master. It comes from a root word meaning be able or can. So essentially, he's able to do all things or he can do all things. It means he's the boss. I found a definition in, in logos that said that God's sovereignty means it's the, f- it's the fact that God is free and able to do what he wants. He's the boss. He's in charge. He's the King. He's fully in control and there's nothing impossible with him. There's nothing in this world that can occur apart from God's permission. Even the, even the bad things in the world, they only occur through God's permission. God is fully in control at all times. God's never looked down at creation and just throwing his hands up. Like, I don't know what to do. I give up. No, he's, he's in control. And, and trusting in this fact that God is sovereign, that he is the boss, that he's the king. He's the king of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Trusting in this should help to quell all of our anxieties in life, our doubts, our troubles, our fears, knowing that no matter what this life may bring, God is in control and there's nothing that will ever change that. So I want to take a minute and discuss the sovereignty of God as seen in the life of one Bible character specifically. How God is fully in control, how he's working behind the scenes, and how no matter what it looks like on the surface, that he is in fact sovereign. And the man I want to discuss is uh, King Nebuchadnezzar from the Old Testament. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon um, from the years of roughly 605 to 562 BC, he is uh, seen in the book of Second Kings, in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Daniel. He uh, He's a, the king of Babylon that came in and destroyed the nation of Judah. In the Old Testament, you know, there was two nations. There was the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. They had split into two different nations. That at this time, the northern nation had already been conquered. The southern nation of Judah was facing up against Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is listed as God's servant. He's described as God's servant and he was the ruler of an enemy nation of a wicked nation. They didn't submit to God. They didn't serve God, but he was God's servant at this time. And so we're going to discuss this a little bit. And the thing that is so amazing to me is that the prophet Jeremiah, if you've ever read through about Jeremiah, Jeremiah had probably one of the hardest ministries because he always would plead with the King of Judah to submit to Babylon. He said that God is fighting against you. God has sent the nation of Babylon because of your sin. You guys would not stop sinning, and so God has sent the king of Babylon to come fight against you. And so you need to submit to him because God's not fighting for you. You know That's what Jeremiah's message was, which of course was probably extremely popular, especially in the eyes of the king that he was addressing. But this is one message that Jeremiah sent to a couple of different kings uh, regarding Nebuchadnezzar, including King Zedekiah. He was the king at this time of Judah, right? That southern nation of Israel. And so this is what it says in Jeremiah 27 verses five through seven says, It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth. And I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I've given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I've given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. So Jeremiah says here that Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant, which would amaze anybody at that time because he was, again, he was a a wicked ruler of an enemy nation. There was nothing godly about him. So how is God using him? Well, it just shows how great that God truly is. If he is capable of using this man that isn't even submitted to him, like because he's sovereign, he's fully in control, even though sometimes it's hard to see. And so Nebuchadnezzar, although he is listed as God's servant, he ends up having some issues with pride and he ends up falling into into some crazy sin there. He sets up this golden image and commands everybody to worship. it. It's this massive thing that he builds. And, and, you know, he says, Hey, you have to fall down and worship it. We're going to blow this trumpet. You got to fall down and worship. And that was when the uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, if you know that story, they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow and worship this other God that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so Nebuchadnezzar kind of has this period where he starts to acknowledge that You know, Yahweh our God is is the Lord and He's He's sovereign. But then Nebuchadnezzar again falls into pride and he goes and he he battles with this issue of pride because he has this great nation that he rules over. I mean, imagine it was the greatest nation at this time and he was in charge. I mean, of course, he would think he's the best. It's only it only makes sense. And so Nebuchadnezzar ends up having a dream. And it wasn't a very good dream. I guess you could say Nebuchadnezzar probably had a nightmare because the result was not very good. And so he goes to Daniel, right? The book of Daniel is written by Daniel and Daniel goes to interpret his dream. And this is the bad news that Daniel gives to Nebuchadnezzar. He says that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven in seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So seven periods of time results in seven years. So basically this is described as, in my Bible, as Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation, where God says, listen, you have fallen into pride and I'm going to make you eat grass. I'm going to drive you out. You're going to lose your mind for a period of seven years until you can acknowledge that the most high God rules the kingdoms of men and he gives it to him. He will. He's the one in charge until you acknowledge that even though you're great in the natural, that it's only through God's doing until you can acknowledge that Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to go through a period of time. That's pretty difficult and humbling. And so at the, at the result of this seemed that it did do good in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And I want to read, this is my last section of scripture to read to you in this episode this is from Daniel chapter four, verses 34 through 37. And this is the last confession of Nebuchadnezzar after he, was, after he recovered his mind, after those seven years. This is what Nebuchadnezzar had to say, it said, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So we see here that God was fully in control in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. The people of Judah probably struggled, knowing that this enemy nation came in to conquer them and that God had you know, he was no longer protecting them. He was actually fighting against them, but God was sovereign and in control the whole entire time. You see that God raised up Nebuchadnezzar as his servant to punish the sin of his people. But then at the same time, when Nebuchadnezzar was lifted up in pride, God said, Nebuchadnezzar, you forgot that I put you in this position. Ultimately, I am in control and you're going to have to go through a period of time where you're humbled, Nebuchadnezzar. It's just, That's what it is. So I'm going to go and I'm going to make you eat grass, like, like an ox out in the field for seven years. And then at the same time, you can come back afterwards. So this is the God that we serve. If you are serving, if you're serving God, this is the God that you serve. He is able to do anything. There's nothing too hard for him. You realize that he gives the kingdoms of this world to whomever he wills. That's how that's the level of control he has. Like he's he's sovereign, he's fully in control. And God has his own kingdom, the kingdom of God. If you're a Christian, that's the kingdom that you serve. You don't serve the kingdom of man each and every day. We seek to build God's kingdom on the earth, right? That his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus prayed. And that is my prayer today. I hope it is your prayer today. Jesus promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church and that someday all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. But in the meantime, God is fully in control. So don't let the cares and the concerns of your life, the anxieties, the fears, the difficulties, don't let them keep you from trusting God because he's never lost control. He'll remain in control. He's sovereign. He can oversee all these things. And if you have those concerns, those issues, I encourage you today to take those to God and trust that he is in control and has a plan in my life. I have a tendency to take my concerns to other people. I take, you know, my anxieties and I, you know, maybe I'll talk to my wife about them or I'll talk to other people about them and that's good, but you need to be able to take your concerns to God first and trust that he is sovereign and he has a plan and he's fully in control. So with that, I thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Without Exception podcast. I pray that this episode has been edifying to you and that it is something you can put into practice in your own life. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and share it with others. If you were listening on Apple, I would love it if you would leave a review. It helps with the exposure of the show. That said, I pray you have an awesome week. And until I see you next time, Let's live out our faith each day without exception.